I, I feel like being native is a bit of like, a, you're a born rebel, you know, and that's how I, like an outlaw. I've always looked at it like that. And... You're listening to Faux Real, and today we're with the director of Love and Fury, Sterling Harjo, and his film is a documentary following a handful of native, native artists as they travel the U.S. and abroad. And these are a collection of artists that are like musicians, writers, painters, and experimental performers. And I also just wanted to read a quote, which I saw was in your trailer as well, that I feel like kind of sums up the title and the film and a lot of the emotions behind it. And it came from Chinupa Haska Luger. And he says something like, I'm not an optimist because I have hope for the future. I'm an optimist because we survived horrible shit and we have the capacity to convert fury into love which I think is really beautiful. Did you want to just get started with, if you wanted to add any information to talk about how this film got started? Well, you know, I'd always wanted to make a film like this, but I'd never made like a feature film really about artists, you know? And I just met so many amazing people over the years that I kind of constantly thought about. This is a project. It just so happened that someone wanted me to make a wanted to fund a film and produce a film uh robin oh, ballinger yeah. robin ballinger was a uh, is a uh, cherokee woman from oklahoma and she had been a fan of my films and approached me after a screening and just said you know i'd love to help make a film and i was like cool so it was the first time that like i'd ever had like the financing first and then um had to <laughs> yeah, that's an idea. Awesome. and it took me like six months to come up with an idea you know i saw a year and i finally did and like there's a show called Meat Eater, which I love, and it's about hunting, and I like hunting. It's sort of like the thinking man's hunting show. You know, it's just a really cool show about, like, people that basically hunt and harvest their own meat. It, it, I could identify it with a, as a hunter because, like, I couldn't identify with, like, the sort of more redneck versions of hunting that I'd seen on TV. Usually every hunting show is pretty simple. It's like they have a goal, they go kill the animal, and then you see it happen and blah, blah, blah. Well, there was an episode on there that they don't kill. He doesn't kill anything. He never even sees the deer that he's looking for. And they didn't use any music on this episode. And it's just him looking through binoculars for days. And he never gets a shot on any animal. But there's a voiceover where he's just talking about his dad, who's passed on now, and and how his relationship to hunting is all from his relationship with his dad. Really beautiful episode. Well, I'd posted a photo of, of a screen grab of Meat Eater when I was watching it when the new season came out. And a guy named Joshua Henson wrote me and said, Steve Rinella gave a shout out to my brother one time on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I was like, wow. So I, I, I went and found it. I was like, who's your brother? And he was like, he is a uh, musician. And so I went and found this specific episode. And at the beginning, he does mention this musician named Micah P. Henson. And so I went and started listening to Micah P. Henson's music because I knew his brother, you know, and his brother was like, is, a, is the head of the Chickasaw language program at the Chickasaw Nation. Yeah. And I started listening to Micah's music. I was like, wow, I never knew this. You know, I never would know that this was a Chickasaw musician, you know, and it just got me excited. And I was like, oh, I'd love to like be a fly on the wall and capture it. Right now we have this sort of formula that we use in documentary film where it's sit down interview, slow motion B-roll, and you cut that over the interview, you know? And I've done that a lot, you know, you kind of can't avoid that. But I wanted this documentary to have a different feeling. You know, there's a documentary that I loved a lot, love a lot called Heartworn Highways that's about Guy Clark 
Towns Van Zandt, Steve Earle, sort of Texas outlaw country music, you know? And uh, I, I love yeah, I love the style in which they told that story. And it's a lot of long takes, a lot of a lot of uh, zoom lens stuff. Like a lot of times there would only be one camera in the room. And so when we shot this film with the crew, we talked about like basically we put boundaries on ourselves and said like every camera person had to shoot as if they were the only person in the room and the only camera that would capture it. And if they don't capture it, then they miss it. So that was sort of the rules going in. And we had a zoom lens. We, we rented zoom lenses and were able to just really kind of, I think, kind of give it a, a very natural sort of intimate documentary where it feels like you're mm-hmm. in the room with them and, and you're just sort of seeing how things are unfolding. And the, the, the thing about shooting a documentary like that is it takes forever, you know, like you, you shoot all day. Cause like the idea is like, we don't know what's going to be cool later, or we don't know what moment we want to have later. So just keep shooting. Even if there's just silences and even if nothing's happening, yeah. there is something happening. Just keep filming, you know? And that's the reason I edited the film because like I was the only person that was there for everything. And I had a lot of it in my head and it was, it would be pretty brutal to ask someone that wasn't there to sit through all that footage <laughs> and, and, and just like film and, you know, watch, watch us film. Cause we would go 16, 17 hours a day or whatever. So I decided to edit the film myself and yeah, like I, I love the way it turned out. And the idea with the, the how I made the film was I started off with like four characters. It was uh, Micah and Haley Greenfeather, Chinupa Luger, and then the last one was going to be my friend Penny Pitchland from the band Labrys, who's in the film. But I was going to go on a tour with her. She was she had been planning a tour maybe on the West Coast and different places. Um, the tour fell through, and so I didn't get to go with her. So she's still in the film, there's, but it's a section. And then when I was in New York. I was filming with other artists and I ended up filming a lot with Emily Johnson, who also came to Tulsa and did a show. I, I, so she ended up kind of, uh, I was just filming her a lot more. And so it ended up being kind of those four characters. And then everyone else, it was the idea was like a lot of musicians, a lot of artists just like have these like sort of transitional moments with them in between, you know, and also like, I, I love the idea of music sort of speaking for itself and like a lot of the performance stuff just kind of standing on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I like that. And I honestly didn't expect that. I didn't know it was going to be as much of that, but it was nice. Yeah. Cause you're right. Like <laughs> there are like, like to do this as a, you know, I don't know if people know this, but it was like, the idea was this, this would be a series later. Like I would do this and then I would keep following artists and maybe two artists an episode or whatever and keep the show going basically, you know, so. I know when I see like really fucking awesome shows or like movies, it starts to get me super excited and inspired to do my own stuff. Did like shooting this kind of hold you through a lot of your own projects or like besides this film obviously like that's your project but like did it inspire you to like go work on other shit or like go home and write quick or anything like that yeah i mean it's hard not to be inspired when you're around all of those artists you know and (laughs) you feel a part of something i also feel like the artists that i film they're so important it's hard for me to feel like i'm that important you know because i feel like their conversations that they're, they're having are things that like i get to be a part of and participate in but i mean like 
Taika and I are really good friends, Taika Waititi, because he and I and a lot of other artists, filmmakers, we would see each other at film festivals. Bird Running Water would bring us together at a film festival or Imagine Native in Toronto, whatever. We would see each other at film festivals. And it was easy when we were at home making our work, especially for me, like it was easy to forget why you were doing it because it was so hard and there was no money and no, and it seemed like there was no career in it. Mm -hmm. It was really hard to, hard to remember why you were doing it. And then whenever I would catch up with these friends and filmmakers in other cities, I would remember, it was like going back to the well and, and, and dipping my pen in the well and getting ink, you know, it was like, all of a sudden I remembered why I was doing it. And and that inspiration would hold you over for a long time, you know? And so I feel like this was a big dose of that, of just like, yeah. this, I do this, you know? So, um, so yeah, it was definitely inspiring and uh, yeah. for sure. I noticed there was some shots, I assume at your house, but including your kids. I know you have two really little ones and yeah. then a daughter's what, like 18 or something? 19, uh, yeah. So I was curious if you could talk about the importance of having people like this around or just, I don't know how you were raised and maybe you want to talk about that too, like where you got your inspiration to become an artist, but how important it is for the next generation, your kids to be raised like around these people. And I know your daughter's in a band too, which is super yeah. awesome. It was just cool seeing them like running around with the like. <laughs> totally. The yeah. That's really important for me. Like, it's just how I've always done it, too. Like, my daughter is awesome. She was, you know, like, I raised her, you know, in college, it was like she was just raised around artists and, and writers and thinkers and painters. And it really just had this effect on her that I know, like, helped her in her own sort of path. And, like, there's just a weird, I think there's a weird way that people raise kids where they want to keep them very separate and protected from everything, which I, I don't think is right. Like, I think, like, they need community. They need to see how they function and how small they are into a bigger community. <laughs> like, and, like, uh -huh. you have to show them, like, the importance of other people. And so I've always just, like, I think I was raised like that, so I always, so I live like that. And, yeah, so was I. <laughs> uh, it's always been really important for me to... You know, like my daughter's been all, in almost all of my films, sometimes as an actor, sometimes just in them, you know, that's always been really important for me. And like lots of people I love have been in my films. I mean, like I can watch my early shorts and, and, and feature films and it's almost like a memorial, like an in memoriam video, you know, because like I have fam, my grandma and my aunts and my uncles that are all gone now. They're all in the films, you know, mm -hmm. and friends that are gone, they're in the films. And so... I, I never knew if I was ever going to get funding for films, you know, I never knew. Like all of my films up to this point, to this day, have been made for around $200,000. So I never knew if I was going to be able to make a living. But I, but, but the one thing that I knew I had that no one else had was my community and what made that unique. So I always embraced that. I always embraced my low budgetness putting my family in wasn't just a budget thing it was also an aesthetic thing like mm -hmm. i don't have a bunch of like you know want to be like influencers in my film you know it's like mm -hmm. i have my grandma and my aunts and all all these real people in my life that make it feel very real and intimate and i love that that's a good way of filmmaking in general it's honest and raw and practical and respectful totally. of the people in it totally and you know that kind of filmmaking from your background. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, when you're talking about having like your kids around stuff, I completely agree with that. And that's how I was raised. And it's kind of like weird. And when people would see me, sometimes other adults would be like, why are you here? And I remember some people sometimes being uncomfortable, but I thought it was like totally normal. And it completely like shaped who I am now and makes me comfortable in various situations. And like, right, it makes you more confident in like situations with other people. I feel like Mm -hmm. it's strange, like people are afraid. I remember when we, when I, you know, I was 20 whenever we had my daughter. I just remember losing half of my friends because I feel like people are afraid to admit their mortality or they're, they're here for a function and they're here to like, you know, also like there's, there's babies being born in the world, you know, Mm -hmm. know. it was strange. Yeah. I remember like, Cause I would travel with my dad a lot with just like him and I like basically every time we went somewhere, he had to go do something. And so a lot of times that would leave me like alone wherever, you know, like at a film festival, if he had to go talk on stage or whatever. And I remember like being really young, but being totally comfortable to like hold my own with like all these strangers that were all adults around me. And it would definitely weird people out sometimes. Cause I'd be having like like, heroes too. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I just have be having like normal conversations as like an 11 year old with like adults and they just kind of be thrown off and be like, wait, what are, what are you doing here? <laughs> That's exactly what my daughter would do. I remember like, like people that would say, I, I hate children. I never wanted to have kids, but I would have kids if they could be like your kid. Cause like she could just have, hold her own, like talk mm-hmm. with them. You know? Awesome. And it's also a good time to meet people. I think at the age that I was and my friends were, it's a very like everyone's debating, right? Like everyone's kind of talking about their philosophies and debating life and things like that. So she was like in the middle of all that, you know, and I think mm-hmm. it was, was was helpful for her. I love that. Were your parents artists or how did you like you said that you were raised like kind of similarly to that. Yeah. So like, what was that like? I mean, you, what kind of people were you around? Yeah, it was it was definitely similar in the way that like I was raised around a lot of people, and I feel like you know no one was an artist capital A, but like my dad is such an artist, such a good you know I have pictures that he drew of like JFK. I have pictures that he drew of Sitting Bull, and this is like when he was like six, really good. And then he just kept drawing, and you know he's like he would draw like easy rider you know dennis hopper on his easy rider or whatever like he was into motorcycles the african-american guys that win the olympics and they're they do the the black power sound he drew i remember like having that drawing he drew like leon russell you know so i was always fascinated by that he and my uncle taught me how to draw you know and i had other artists in my family it was a giant family like my dad never saw art through because he made a living for me and my brothers and my family right like he he's a construction worker he roofed houses for years then he got it and he was always a martial arts instructor so we were always in martial arts i was always around people like that as well i was competing from the age of five my dad ended up working for the school which as like the johnson o'malley coordinator which is like the native it's like a program through schools i don't know if they're everywhere but like it's for giving native kids school supplies if they don't have any you know so my dad did that sort of was almost like a counselor you know but he never pursued art and my whole life he would tell me like don't give up like i did you know which he could be drawing right now if he just do it you know but like and my grandma would always say that she'd always say you know your dad never did anything with the, with his art you should do that so i just had that beat into me from a young age you know because they knew i was a good i could draw mm-hmm. 
And then I had like really good teachers. I had an art teacher in high school who named Mr. B, who was kind of legendary back then at the school. And I remember him telling me, you know, whatever you do, don't have a fallback plan because you'll fall back. And it just Uh stuck with me. And I never did. It just stuck with me. You know, he was like, I I didn't want to be a teacher. He's like, I want to be a painter, but I'm teaching now because I had a fallback plan. That, That gave me the permission to be stubborn in what I do and not try to have any other option just like dive off a cliff and go for it you know so i wasn't i was surrounded by artists but i but not in the way that my daughter was or anything you know i was in a small town i was in rural oklahoma i don't know how i don't know how i got into writing and things like that other than um storytelling my family my my family's just like so good at it you know and whether it's talking about like superstition and native superstition and like stuff like that and then like just family stories that happen, you know, there's crazy shit that only happens in like the middle of nowhere, you know, and, um, you know, and a lot of stuff that I write about now. But also, I think it was just the recognition of story. Like, I think a lot of people have a lot of interesting things that happen to them, but they don't recognize it as a good story. They don't recognize it in a way that they could like kind of repackage it mm-hmm. and funny, you know, or make it entertaining or whatever. Somehow my family yeah. was good and I got that from them, you know. I can relate to that a lot because I feel like I'm not the greatest storyteller, but I can be very like flamboyant in the way I like tell things and people will be like, you have like the craziest shit happen to you. But then I like think about it and I'm like, you probably do too. You just aren't like flailing your hands all over and like screeching while you tell this story the way that I am. So I definitely grew up like my favorite thing by far was always just like sitting around a fire, like in the backyard with everyone just like in a circle telling stories. Like that was my absolute favorite thing. Like I wanted to end like every week or day or whatever that way that's like my favorite I mean still is you're still doing it yeah (laughs) I mean yeah my great-grandpa who um, has passed away now but we would all just sit around and like listen to him tell these stories like you're talking about like superstition and stuff I'd always just be like waiting to like see some like apparition come out of the woods or something or I'd be like talking about legends of like giant snapping turtles or whatever and all that like ghost stories and war stories and like all these things were just my absolute favorite thing so yeah. I feel like that totally like influenced me, like totally. not just my dad being a filmmaker, but like those family like communal times. Well, I'm curious, actually, one of the things I had written down was if you had been a part of like, not necessarily creating yourself, but just like any new cool ways that you've seen, especially like Native artists connecting during this time. The only thing that I've been a part of is the... With Illuminative, we did a, right at the beginning, it was really scary. It was like the scariest moments, I feel like. We were asked to do comedy stuff, the 1491s. We did these, like, Percy Thomas is this character that Ryan does, and where he would do, like, remote check-ins with people to see how things were going. So we all kind of played exaggerated versions of ourselves or, like, whatever. It was it was all about, like, kind of making people laugh and encourage them to be safe and stuff and Mm -hmm. we did a whole uh series of those and that was kind of the biggest thing that we did and then after that it was like i'm really lucky that i'm a writer you know like i have a lot of work already that i was already had going you know so Mm -hmm. for me it's been really busy like i've been super busy and working almost too damn busy because like you know executives i think are a little bit bored and like there's no shoots you know so they're just like ready to read stuff you know Uh Um, that's that's actually really funny. I didn't think about that. So it's been there's been a lot of uh, I've done a lot of Zoom meetings, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. interesting. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the projects you're working on? Yeah, I mean, the most exciting thing that I have going on right now, as far as like being further in development and creating it with one of my best friends is uh, Taika Waititi and I created a show called Reservation Dogs that FX is doing. Uh, currently in the writer's room, I'm running a writer's room with different writers and all native writer's room, which is pretty exciting. I think that's, that's so cool. Maybe, yeah, I don't know if it's ever happened before, but um, it's been pretty exciting to do that. And just amazing work, seeing everybody kind of shine, you know? And, you know, as far as like, the reason I love filmmaking is because I have this moment of being a writer where it's very solitary and very quiet, but then I can switch into collaborative mode and, and director mode. And I love that. I love that. I think those are two sides of myself that I have to feed a lot. And that also translates into creating work for other people as well, you know? And so um, just being able to like bring writers in, friends of mine that are writing on my show has been pretty amazing. I like being a director and a writer, but I also like producing so I can bring people together. But Tyke and yeah. I have been friends for a long time. We never really talked about working together ever. You know, we really always kept it friendly, you know, like just friendship. And I think, you know, Tyke has seen himself in a place where he can make a lot of things happen. He was like, we should do something. You know, I have a, I have a deal with FX. What if we get something going? Literally just came up with an idea that night. Uh, I wrote it up. And within like three days, I was getting a call from my agents going, what the fuck is Reservation Dogs? I'm like, uh, how'd you hear about that? Like a show now, you know, like FX is do it. They, they want to do it. So yeah, it's been exciting. Of course, as soon as I have a show that's about to go into production, pandemic hits. Um, we had crew and everyone here for to shoot the pilot and we had to send everyone home. So. Oh my gosh, they were already there? Yeah, yeah. But FX has been really cool. And they, you know, called me and... They were like, let's keep going. Like, we want to do this. So it's been really great. Yeah. Can you talk about, like, especially with a show like Reservation Dogs, like the importance to you to tell Native stories and to talk about decolonization and things that are really important to us instead of just being a storyteller? I rarely say the word decolonization just because, not because of any reason other than, like, I just feel like, the way that I work best is in practice, you know? So it's like, and I'm not saying I'm decolonized, you know, <laughs> fucking, you know, whatever, but like, but it's always about like moving in the right direction. And for me, that is telling stories and that's telling stories about native people. Like for me, that is like, you know, I used to always say like, I'm not a political artist and I'm not a political filmmaker and all this stuff. But like, I, you know, at some point I realized like, yeah, I am. Like, I am political just because I'm alive and doing it. Like, so many people had to survive a lot of shit for me to be here, you know? So that in, a, in itself is political. Almost breathing is political, you know? So so I realize now that, like, what I do is try to tell stories in the way that we tell stories, you know? Like, I really try to tell stories like my family told stories and tells stories. I, I try to show Native people and imagery. I want to normalize it, you know, I want to normalize seeing natives on screen. I want to normalize seeing human, us as human beings, you know, like that's what I want to do. And I take pride in like doing stories that I didn't think anyone else would tell unless I did it, you know, and almost in general, that's what has driven my career is like showing native people and showing us as human beings and trying to give young people and other people the option, the sort of anti-venom to uh, the bad representation and mascots and bullshit that's out there, you know? It's like, we also have to fill that void with imagery. And that's always what yeah. I've been to, you know? 
I've been hearing this like phrase um, a lot lately that I think has just been so cool. Just I am my ancestors' wildest dreams, and I just think that that's been like I don't know. It's not something that I honestly had like thought about, and just that phrase like brought me so much like imagery and just like oh yeah, fuck yeah, like everything happening right now is so powerful and so cool, and it made me like when I was watching your film and seeing Chinupa like talking to uh, that I believe was a theater group in England. And just being able to talk about, like, ships leaving from England and, like, Plymouth to, like, coming to America and colonize. And then seeing that, like, in the same film as seeing your kids interact with all this stuff. Like, it just was really hopeful and inspiring to me. Like, oh, yeah, we are, and, like, the past generations have been, like, paving the way for these younger kids to be able to, like, do, I mean, more or less what they want to do. Exactly. No, thank you for saying that. But yeah, I mean, that's part of the point of, I think, putting the kids in there too. And like, and also like on a personal level, letting them see what they were involved, what they got to be around, you know, and inspiring them. But in the bigger picture, inspiring people, because it is amazing what we're doing right now, you know, and I don't think we can even really understand it, you know, but if you look at like the pandemic and how tough this has been on everyone, you know, my people came from the like they came to Oklahoma on the trail of tears you know and like thousands of people died you know and it's like for me this pandemic has humanized that in a way even that like I I it wasn't even to me as humanized before just like how many people struggled and you know I look at my kids at night and then there were scary times during the pandemic where you're like worried that you're all gonna die you know and like mm-hmm. so imagine being marched by soldiers across the Mississippi River on foot and the winter and you're dying and everyone's dying around you. People are dropping dead around you and you have babies and you don't know if they're going to make it. I mean, fuck, that was the most terrifying thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I think every project that I do, every year that I grow older, I appreciate what came before me. It's, I don't know, you know, I think there's a lot of people's opinions of where we should be, you know? Like, I don't know... I don't know how we satisfy everyone in the end, but I think what is happening right now is pretty amazing, you know, like, and I hope it lasts, but I don't know. I mean, like you and I are on a computer talking to each other, you know, and we sh- we have this shared history, but also this very different history and how we ended up in front of this computer talking to each other in different states. Mm-hmm. It's fucking mind blowing, right? It's insane, yeah. but it's also really beautiful and amazing that it's happening, I think. It is. (laughs) I think the last thing I wanted to ask you about, especially with being in the process of writing a show called Reservation Dogs right now, how everything going on in your home state has maybe affected that or just your personal life. or The biggest way it affected that is that I don't have to explain in Reservation Dogs anymore that they don't actually live on the res. because, (laughs) Because, like, there was this whole, like sort of expositional sort of uh, conversation that a uh, doctor has with one of the kids where he's like, he's like, we call ourselves the reservation dog. He's like, why? You don't live on a res. He's like, but we do. Like a res is where Indians live and we're Indian and we live here. He's like, he's like, you need to read a book. Like it's fucking, you can't just fucking call something the res, you know? So now like all of that can go out the window because like, <laughs> call it the res now um it'll be interesting to see what happens why people tend to always take things away you know so i think like anytime we get good news it's always like i shouldn't say white people the government but like i mean yeah (laughs) Uh, 
we understand. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I think like, I think anytime there's good news, it's always like, we're always kind of waiting and like, all right, what's up their fucking sleeve? What's coming around the corner? What bullshit are they hiding under the table? You know, like there's always something because that's how that's what happened to our agreements and our treaties from the time they were here. Like it's, it's been about screwing us over. So there's always just sort of a, sort of a hesitant optimism about things. So, you know, like now it's just like it's a troll anyone who thinks it's a bad idea and talk about how amazing the res is now, you know? So like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I just also, the only other thing I wanted to say something about was you being in the Academy and just, I guess to me, obviously, first of all, congratulations, super right. cool. But just having like native people in the Academy just kind of blows my mind. It's yeah, just, it's exactly. really cool. I, you know, it's funny, like, I always sort of have to look in hindsight and think to myself, wow, that's really amazing, you know? So, like, the last couple of days I've been like, wow, that's really cool, like, you made it into that. When it first happens, I'm sort of like, great, mm-hmm. when I win an Oscar, you know? Like, like, <laughs> I have, like, I have goals, you know, and it's like, that's this is great, like, I love it, I love the recognition, it's beautiful, I think it is great that we have, like, Native people in the academy, but also like I can't let it like I don't know I hate thinking about myself in that way you know like I get like I love getting the love and like whatever like everyone does I also am always like all right that's done let's move on you know like I got yeah. to make and films to make congratulate me when those are done you know <laughs> kind of how I feel I say I think especially as a native person like people telling you you can't do something it's like oh really like I'm fucking here man like. My people and myself, we've already fought everything that you thought we couldn't do to get here. So I, I feel like being native is a bit of like a, you're a born rebel, you know, and that's how I like an outlaw. I've always looked at it like that. And we're in this system now that was created without us and in a lot of ways created created to end us. Mm-hmm. And, are in this system now and we get to beat them at it and i love that you know i love starting from lower than bottom i love crawling my way out you know i love it i love like showing them that i can you know i think that's a big part of like what inspires me hell yeah i mean that brings us right back to like the quote we were talking about in the beginning of not being an optimist because (laughs) we're like hopeful and things are great but because like we have literally survived terrible shit that was existed to eradicate us That's right and, and now we're here on computers <laughs> look at how good of storytellers we are we did a call back to the beginning circular native story <laughs> <laughs> yeah high five good job <laughs> we did it well this has been great thank you so much thank you like, for me on this was fun is there anything else you wanted to add um, i know what? where can people see the film you got me i don't know what's happening <laughs> There's a couple film festivals that it's coming out on. And then after that, it's kind of weird because it's this period of like, do I just let people stream it for free at these festivals or what? You know, so um, I don't know. You know, I hope it gets on some streaming service, obviously. But I also am okay with this film being discovered slowly because these types of films, that's how they get discovered. It's like... Five years later, you look back at these artists. Ten years later, you look back at these artists and what they were doing. 
and it means something totally different, you know? And like, I love that about the film, you know? Obviously, financially, you don't want to aim for that, you know? Mm-hmm. But like, I also am in a weird situation where there's a pandemic and I didn't fucking expect it. No one knows what to do, you know? So um, you just try to roll with those punches, you know? Yeah, it's like literally the weirdest year in the history of forever that you could possibly have a film coming out. Yeah, yeah. You're like, where can you watch it? Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. You got me, you know. Yeah, I'll include the link in the podcast like description. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. This episode of Faux Real was edited by Kim Lowe. The song is Lost and Bound by Colleen Colleen. Special thanks to Brandon Peggy.